you're a guy that was kind of doing press stuff and then went over to uh, writing games, and I, I feel like that's largely kind of what you're probably doing now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what sort of drove that? Like, was there a moment or was it just an opportunity for, for why you kind of made that transition or started going down that path? I think I wanted to see if I could, basically. And I got interested in writing more fiction, so wrote a couple short stories and a couple other things, and decided to give it a try with games um, to see... I think, yeah, I just wanted to see if I could do it on the... Wanted to see if I could hack it on that side of the business. Um, And I have some software experience, um, development and stuff, so I felt comfortable with a lot of the aspects of just going in and getting work done. And what I wanted to see is if I could hold up some of the creative side, too, because I just had not done that much. Um, the first gig I did was um, Carmen Sandiego for Facebook. Right. I remember, and, yeah, I remember talking yeah, to you at GDC yeah, that, well, two years yeah, ago. We were, yeah, we had lunch with Michael, and, and um, it's it was a good experience because the whole job was just to write. I wrote like 3,300 location clues, and I worked with Rob Dubbin and Jay, and I'm forgetting his last name because I never really met him. Mm-hmm. But um, so two other writers, and we all cranked about 10,000 clues. You know, fifty characters at least, every single one of them. That and sounds insane. It was totally insane, <laughs> and it was like it was like it took us four months. It should, they wanted it in two, but it took us four. And what was good about that was, at the end, I felt confident that I could apply for other writing jobs because I'm like, all right, well, I got it done, right? You've, done, you've gone through the grind. I've gone through the grind, and I've and, and discovered that you know there's that balance between as any time that you're working on deadline between when you really want to be creative and when you have to just get it done. Right. So all a lot of the clues, there are like 20 clues I really like that are in my clips now, but most of the clues are like creative enough. <laughs> it, it, it fills the space. It fills the space. It's I not lame. I didn't swear. I didn't swear. Uh. I didn't whip it, but there. Manila is covered. Moving on. And did did so, you find that that was the most, like the oddest thing to, you know, it's, to have to like fill in all those small gaps, like hey, somebody's got to do that, and I'm the guy that has to do that, and I got to fill it with something. Like where do you, where do you go to as a writer when you have to fill that? You just you just have to get into a flow with it and get into you pick up habits of how to do it. Um, you know, I picked up habits of often just saying that the henchmen are kind of stupid. So a lot of it was riffs on them being stupid. And you pick up habits of like when you tackle a new city. There were 66 different cities. You sort of figure out what you're going to look for in each one. Uh, like, oh, museums, sports stadiums, parks, weird history, weird locations, maybe really popular restaurants. And, like, that's what you do. And, and so, again, it's like, you know, you try to be creative along the way, but it's mostly about just learning how to get that work done. And that is pretty similar to a lot of writing for games involves. There's, there's labor to be done either if it's writing tons of barks so that Banmees aren't always saying the same thing over and over again, or just filling out the world, you know, because you have to have stuff in all these spaces and all these environments where someone might go. Um, you have to write a lot of instructional text. A lot of it is just, ele- like, in Mark of the Ninja, the sidekick character, Aura, um, 70% of what she says, at least, is instructional. You know, she has to make sure you know that the smoke bomb can block the lasers and help you get through a trap. And if the player doesn't know that, then they're at a disadvantage. So a lot of it is sort of that, that work, that labor of making sure that the information gets to the, to the player. And it was sort of a similar thing. It was much more fun than writing location clues. Sure. But there are a lot of cases where Aura had a lot of stuff to say, and I tried to put it in character and make it sound fresh and make it flow well so it wasn't stilted and awful. But a lot of it is work. You know, a lot of it is like she has a purpose in what she's telling you. 
and then you get to go into tone and character and sort of the fun creative side of it. Um, and I think it's interesting is when it works as the player you don't notice it mm-hmm. <laughs> and which you should yeah and, that's, and that's how it's supposed to work but it's also that what that leads to is I think people probably don't realize the amount of work that goes in to get to that place because mm-hmm. if you don't notice it the writer did their job and then you're enjoying the game and you're you're interfacing with the mechanic whatever whatever is new you only notice that the writing's bad when you don't get the proper instruction yeah exactly um, or if it just sounds awful right or whatever yeah exactly um and that's sort of the, the the thing is like, as not every game has ten thousand clues that the team has to write, <laughs> right. but all games have. You know, Nels was talking about with Ninja with the new DLC. We have all this development cut. I think he probably talked to you about this. Yeah. I haven't heard it yet. I'm sorry. Um, but you know, like all the steps that go into this and building this out and building all the encounters. I think he said it's like something like eighteen passes through a level to mm-hmm. finish building all the parts of it, and that's what you realize is there's just a, there's just a lot to build you're building spaces so there's right. a lot to do so that's the the labor part of it so i did i did carmen san diego and that gave me the figure all right well at least i can deliver right and i can write clean dialogue and okay so i feel that much confident and um i was at gdc two years ago and out at dinner with some people and with nels and he mentioned he was working on some project so I was like, hey, if you ever need a writer, and he actually took me up on it. So that's, so that's <laughs> the how thing I got that everyone it. says to everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He actually right? got back to you on. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that was cool. So that's how I got involved in marketing the Ninja. And, and would, was it always that you were going to be writing as much as you ended up writing in Mark of the Ninja, or like what was the initial thought of what your contribution to the game would be? It was the script and the audio logs, which we hadn't really defined, and it was, um, yeah, basically the, the script. And so. They had the story mostly mapped out when I got there, and I, I suggested a couple things, but it's it's really, like, stuff within what they had. The, sure. the premise and the story and the story beats were there. The level pl- were, levels were planned out. So the idea was I really needed someone to come in and write a script, and they've contracted that out before. The writer of Shank and Shank 2 was also contracted out. So that was the scope of it. Um, and that had advantages and disadvantages was that, you know, I'm still, I was still on a learning curve, so mm-hmm. it was good to have, like, a pretty contained thing to work on. Um, I didn't get as much chance to be involved with the team at the beginning, which is more fun. Um, but that, you know, that's but that's how I got involved in it. So, what did, what did you find was perhaps like your biggest misconception from being on the press side, where you only get slivers into what it's like to, to work on a game or see sort of like the hustle and bustle of development? And what did you feel like if it was your biggest misconception that you realized once you actually got in there and doing it mm-hmm. that sort of blew you away about how how games are built? The, I think one misconception I definitely had, and I think, and I've, I've seen other people have this too, is that when we talk about story in games, and especially when people say, oh, games should have like better stories, there's this assumption that like some white knight should come in and say, this is my vision, and this is how we're going to tell the story, and now it's Hamlet, and just swoop in and do that. And the writer really is like, it, that's not, that's not, the, the, a script doesn't make a game. Mm-hmm. Like, the best in my mind now, and I think this is sort of under under recognized. Um, the best narrative content in the game is the content that ties to the mechanics, that ties to the experience, that sort of themes the like Soren Johnson puts it that it's the theme on top of the mechanics, hmm. um, and to to put rich narrative material around the gameplay that you've got, the scenario you've got, the problem that you're trying to solve. And I think that's what a lot of people are moving towards that, and they're, they're more interested in that. Like that, there's this, I think there's more acceptance that even though AAA games look beautiful and have all these cutscenes, that Hollywood script writing is not going to make games better. 
Right. And um, certainly there are games where if the writer comes in and or the game's creator, if the game's creator comes in and says, look, I want to tell this story and I'm using this game to tell the story, they can do amazing stuff. Kentucky Route Zero is a great story. Grim Fandango is one of my favorite games. It's an amazing story. And those are more linear stories with, you know, the, the, the more traditional arcs. But um, something that I'm, I'm something I've learned to appreciate a lot more is sort of how does the writing fit into the overall environment, mm. the overall scenario in the world? How, like, the stuff I really want to pursue is being part of the world building, being part of laying down what is the vision of the game, what's the controlling idea, what are the themes, what are the symbols, laying all that kind of stuff down, creating a world where you say, like, you know, you're doing the Bible documents um, and going in and saying, you know, I, here's 50 pages on these people, and none of this is going to show up in the game. But now you know what they, where they come from, what they're afraid of, what they want, what they, what they think will happen. To I think them that's just fascinating. Like, I, I, I would, I would love to flip through one of those narrative bibles sometime, just because yeah. it's cool to see. Cause it solves, it seems like it solves a lot of problems from design and a writing standpoint. It's like we know this, why this is here, even if it will never surface to the player. Mm-hmm. So at least we can say there's a purpose behind it as opposed to it just being there to be there. Yeah, exactly. That and 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 then and then with that you can feel you can feel the different parts of a world feel different and not just cuz this is the desert level and this is the fire level but because they really feel lived in in a different way. And so I'm not saying that I have I haven't done that on any game yet. Sure. That's my goal is to get more involved in that coming in early and being able to be part of that. And What's interesting about that, too, is, though, that that's not just a writer's job. I mean, there are teams where it's an auteur and they do come in and they're like, you know, I'm in charge. My, uh, Scott McMillan is a really good game designer in Boston. He, he puts it the Sun King model where, like, some great person comes in and is like, you know, this is my game and you're all working for me and this is what's going right. to be. And, that, and that's awesome and that can work out really well and because it puts a personal stamp on the game. I mean, it, it, you know, Ken Levine is sort of like that yeah. for Bioshock. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a huge team behind that. There are a number of writers on Infinite, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's Ken Levine's yeah. game, like, better or worse for how that's represented, but that's, he is a figurehead for that game. Yeah, and, and, and it's cool, because you do need a vision, but, like, you can have a vision from a small core team getting in sync with each other, mm-hmm. and agreeing to something, and, um, you know, on Mark of the Ninja, like, you know, so I'm credited as the writer, because I wrote the script, um, and even though it's, like, you know, like, 90% of it, or whatever, 90-95%, but just to be clear, so... I'm, I'm the writer for working the script and being that part of the labor, but like the story credits, I think there are like six story credits, because a lot of the great story moments that we had were a team of people sitting around and being like, well, how does this work? How does this part work? What are we going to do about the ending? And that is something that, um, that's something I have a much better appreciation for, both what a writer can add, but really how a writer is part of that team, that it's getting, you know, the, the art and gameplay, obviously, and sound and everything else when you can get that whole team, all those specialties to come together on one vision of what the thing is going to be, how it's going to feel and how it's going to play out and what it's really about, mm-hmm. then that's um, then that's awesome and that's where that's where you get magic and something memorable that kind of sticks in your gut. And so, I'm curious what you think. This is something we were talking about uh, on our site recently with in Tomb Raider. I don't know if you've played that or not, but it'll, it'll speak to a broader mm-hmm. theme anyway. Um that game feels like it wants to be more serious, wants to tackle a lot of these uh, darker tones and, and ideas that a lot of indie games do by virtue of them being small and like different in scope, and they can kind of uh, they can tackle that more meaningfully. But 
a lot of these games are doing it in their cutscenes or sort of in their premise, but the mechanics don't reflect that at all. Right. Um, largely as a result of having to, you know, click it a wider audience. Right. So I'm, cur- I'm curious what you think of that, and if you think it's even possible for those bigger games to sort of, you know, as you said, tie the mechanics to the story to make it more meaningful for the player, uh, if that's sort of at odds at, uh, with, you know, selling to a huge audience of 5 right, to 10 right. million. Um, I don't know, because I've never worked on a AAA game. Um, I mean, you know, Tom Bissell would have interesting opinions on that right now. Yeah. I think he's learned so much from this experience. I think he also completely aced it on Judgment, and, um, and he aced it on the big scene in the big ways and also in the small ways, which is really, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was playing through them like, he just got, he and Rob got mm-hmm. every part of this right. It seems like they just, got a, uh, a lot of leeway on it, too. Like, the bits I've, you know, I've, yeah. I've, I've read about and the bits I've played, like, you know, I think it was in the New Yorker feature about, about him and writing the game where, you know, they did the script, they implemented it, they voiced it, and then they realized it sucked and then had a chance to do it again. It's, I, I doubt that's an opportunity that a lot of people get a second time around to kind of take another another stab at it. No, exactly. And there, there, you, I'm sure there are definitely cases where they hire a, a writer who doesn't really care and they just might be really good, too, mm-hmm. and file a script that's that's good and perfectly fine, and they send it off and they're like, okay, I'm done, and they're not part of the process, and you can do that, but it doesn't really, it's not really memorable. He's interesting, too, something like, I, had, I didn't experience it, like, with Mark the Ninja, like, the way it turned out is, it, 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 it's interesting, you have to learn from, like, seeing an iteration of that, because um, you, the first time you do it, it's sort of like, when I was really into photography, I used film, and then you'd go into the, you'd shoot it all, you'd be downtown Chicago and taking a lot of fake pictures of some event, and then you'd come back to the darkroom and develop it, and then you'd see what the pictures actually looked like mm-hmm. hours later, and it was always different, but then you started to learn to expect how it was going to pan out, Right. and that was what this was like, was, you know, you'd write lines for things, and then they either wouldn't work in the game, or you'd write for a scene that wasn't really built yet, and then it wouldn't fit at all like there wasn't even room to deliver it and so we've had some there are some levels where we have a bunch of dialogue we threw out because it didn't work and others where we did it at the last minute and actually fits perfectly because hmm. there were spaces where you could use it and so that kind of learning like I, I like that Tom's so honest about or so open about most people w- most people wouldn't out. reveal that they wrote a shitty script that they <laughs> that yeah. they threw out but it, it's great you know maybe that comes from just like you know his past and like where you know Traditional writers wouldn't disclose that yeah, they're, yeah. they're writing games, but it's it's nice that he does. So I think it, I don't know, it makes people feel more comfortable about the process to know like it's a you know failure is a huge part about success and yeah, you well, know, you I'm know not sh- yeah because you wouldn't know until it's in there. And I'm sure too, everything he wrote was probably amazing and it just didn't fit. Right. So it's like it can be good writing <laughs> and just not fit tonally with the yeah. context that it's being dropped into. Yeah. Um, and, you know, something like Gears of War has a very specific context. <laughs> yeah. So so I mean I don't know. So you, to your question about AAA, I. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think there are games that that, that are probably better at that than others. But I don't. Know, I don't really have an informed opinion on mm. that. I mean, I think with indies like working with Clay because it's smaller, I have the experience of seeing how that small team and core stakeholder, that the key group of principles, can get together and really do magical stuff together. And something like Cart Life. You know, you mentioned cutscenes and. Cart Life has many different interfaces. Some of it is like dialogue, some of it is branching, you're making choices, and it's just giving you text. Um, 
some of it's like an adventure game and then some of it's the tycoon game and there are parts of it that look really different from other parts and aesthetically it ends up all fitting together and from gameplay standpoint it all fits together but he showed that like you can be in all these different modes and they can each serve the purpose they need to serve and all blend together well um, I mean cutscenes are do you like cutscenes? you know I don't but I, I, feel, I feel like they're the first cop out even if they're in a, an effective necessity for you know you've got to tell a story that's, that's an effective easy way to do it yeah uh, but I feel like it's also become a crutch uh, in storytelling for a lot of games. It's it's tough because well, and the other thing too is it costs a lot. Yeah, and and you're li- you're a little more limited. Uh, I like them better now that I've used them. Okay, <laughs> like I did, I used to be like fuck that. Right. And now I realize because there's a lot of story that we delivered in our cutscenes in Ninja that I don't know how we would have gotten out otherwise. Hmm. And you definitely. Something I definitely learned from working on Market Ninja is how hard it is to get people's attention on certain things um, to make sure that... Because you, you, you start to realize, and it's like, it's like you know, the inverted pyramid in journalism mm-hmm. where the headline is what they have to know. Right. Right? Aliens invaded. Right. And then you get into the details, and then way at the bottom you find out that they shot down a particular bridge that some people really count on. <laughs> right? So that's, you know, okay. Um... Or like, you know, man lands on the moon. Right. Right. Boom, headline, and then the details of, oh, and the ship has this many square feet. Oh, right. that's interesting, but right. no, that's down here. Okay, so you realize that there are some things that absolutely have to come across to the player. You absolutely have, the player has to know. And there's like a half dozen things in Mark of the Ninja that are just really key of, of like, okay, well, we're going after these guys now. Oh, it turns out that the premise of why we're doing this is wrong. Okay, now we have to go figure this out. And now at the end... We really wanted people to understand what was going on at the end, and so there were a lot of things that had to be really clear. And there's a cutscene, um, the, the, the end of Mark of the Ninja, there's a cutscene where basically the two sides that prep you for the two choices you can make at the end basically lay out their case, and it's almost just like a courtroom, they just lay out the case, and it's pretty blunt, and I'm sure it's not the best thing hopefully I'll ever write, but, it, but it's like they have to both say, this is why I think I'm right, well, this is why I think I'm right. And it's crucial that that information get across to the player. And even if you can't do it gracefully, it right. has to get done. And then the rest of that level um, was the part that like has the trippy art and psychedelic effects and everything like that. And that's that's the more interesting part. And that's not scripted. That's like the you know that's not a text thing. Um, and I think that's much more memorable and graceful. But like you still somehow somehow you need to make sure people are just crystal clear on these few core points. And so for Making sure that they, making sure that the key ideas get across, cutscenes are really helpful. Did you find that you learned that lesson by trying to cram everything in to be like fun and contextual and not in a cutscene, and then just realizing the only way I'm going to make sure the player sees this <laughs> is is through the cutscene? No, I don't think I, I don't think I, I don't think um, we made that kind of a choice because we knew there were going to be cutscenes, and um, if anything, we had one at the beginning and end of every single level. And maybe a couple of them we didn't take even take advantage of. There's like one where you just see Ninja and Aura fall out of the sky and land on something, and that's the entire cutscene. Probably not essential, but like we'd gotten into the form, we'd gotten into sure. the patterns, so we included but, that. But at least like the like would, what's imparting there. I think the, the thing that I find frustrating about cutscenes, and this happens much more in like these AAA games, is when you're seeing sometimes more interesting potential gameplay mechanics playing out mm-hmm. through the cutscenes because. Cutscenes are expensive, but it's also cheaper than game design. 
Oh, I uh, hate that. Like when when you see someone kill a really special boss, right? In a cutscene, right, and they're and doing it's something. Like someone else. It's not even. Yeah, you. And, and, and quick yeah. time events are a way of addressing that, but in a, a really bad way. Yeah. Um, and I think that I guess that's what I, what I would be speaking to is like it, it's really frustrating to watch something super cool happen on screen and be like, why couldn't why couldn't we have done a smaller version of that that I got to play and interacted as the player? Yeah. And that's usually when I, I get frustrated with these some of the stories uh, that are presented in games like that because they feel I always feel like you've written a much bigger story than you're capable of pulling off in your design, and that's really frustrating to me as the player. Yeah, because if this big guy was so important, then make him part of the game. Right. Yeah. So it's one thing if it's just you know you want to impart a story element, uh, but it's it's when it starts to mix in with the gameplay, and that's why I, did you play Asura's Wrath? Or have you heard of that game? I played the demo. You should yeah, play. It's a lot of QTs, right? it's you should like, play that whole game. It was absolutely one of my favorite games okay. from last year, and feels like it takes the QTE as far as it could go and makes an entire game based uh-huh. around it, and does it in the most meaningful way. Where when you're pressing the buttons and the way they've positioned them on the screen, mm-hmm. the amount of times you're pressing them, it f- it's it feels right. Okay. And I and I used to be just be in the QTEs are total bullshit. Yeah, I just get yeah. them out of games. Still think that for ninety nine percent of cases, but that game, like it's set up front. Hey, this is what we're gonna do. This mm-hmm. is part of our design, as opposed to we're gonna tell a story and cram in QTEs to kind of yeah. get us from point A to point B. And it's it's really interesting to watch what they did with that because it shouldn't work. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I normally don't like that stuff, but they they did it in a really interesting way. I'll have to yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I answer... I feel like everything you said, like, I agree with, basically. And it's like... Um, it almost comes down to core vision, right? That if you have cutscenes that are separate from the game, it's like... I think maybe it's just that it's another opportunity to do something that doesn't gel. Right. And it's so easy for it not to gel, because it may be a different team, it may be different people with different priorities doing those. I'm not saying that's sure, the case and, at all. And, and, these, and these huge but studios, in, in you general, also have, like, you know, people siloed off into yeah. different, you know, disciplines... And all those systems come together at the last second to form the game. Yeah, it's it's easy to imagine how stuff feels tonally different given given how that stuff actually just even gets made. Yeah, and I think yeah, exactly. Um, and I think they also one thing that's one thing that um, just again on Ninja that like we and I think we said this in the postmortem that we did in Game Developer Magazine. Um, the game was really play tested, play tested a lot, and I mean. I even remember at GDC some months before we shipped, Jamie showing Nels like this notebook of notes of just like, yeah, here's all the stuff we're going to work on. Like, so, so there was a lot of attention, and rightfully so, and it paid off. And one thing I think they've acknowledged is that we didn't do that with the narrative as much, and we didn't, because it's harder in, in some ways. Um, I mean, it's hard because you've got voice acting, and you, just get, you get your stuff recorded, sure. and you're probably not going to do that again. It's um, also just different, like, you know, when I was playing the special edition stuff, you know, as I'm going through, Nels is, like, pointing out, like, okay, you did that, that means I need to change that. You know, like, it's yeah. it, it's a little bit easier in uh, playtesting for a level because you can, it's very, it's visible. Yeah, you know, he you knows can he's going to move this over. Right, yeah. as opposed to writing where it's, it's not, it's not a physical thing, you know, it's, you can't watch someone read it and get real-time feedback, you know, or whatever they articulate yeah. may not be the, the underlying problem. Yeah, exactly, and I, and I think that it's hard. So, so it's hard to take advantage of that the same way when it's lines that you had to bring someone into a booth and record. And so that's something that we didn't do as much. 
and we didn't have... So that's something that I would do in the future, and I don't know how. Maybe it's even doing a Twine demo of mm -hmm. something, um, just to get the, the ideas and the scenes out, so people, and then find out what do you understand from this, what works for you or doesn't. Because um, I think one thing we acknowledge is like there are some things that happened near the end of Ninja that weren't telegraphed as well as we could have. And um, that's sort of like... Uh, that kind of stuff would you would reveal, whereas like if the grappling hook hadn't worked, like we knew how to make sure that that worked. Right. So that's um, what's hard, and I think getting back to cutscenes, that's even worse because what do you even? How do you even test? You just get them done. Right. You just say, well, I know enough about how to make a movie. We've got great animators. Let's do this, and then I don't mean I know enough. I'm sure, sure. There are people just like we do this movie <laughs> and we, we we put it in there and it'll work, and then right. people skip it anyway. So. Uh, um, <laughs> I guess I guess the last thing I'd ask you is, what other, what games, you know, modern games today have you looked at and been like, they've they've made effective use of writing or telling a story uh, tied to their mechanics and games. Um, I would say so. I had the, I had the opportunity to be on the IGF's narrative jury, and all five of those nominees and the semifinalists are all amazing in different ways. And until the thing's over, I probably shouldn't. Telegraph my preferences. <laughs> sure. Um, but, uh, you know, Cart Life for how it mixes the story and the systems, for how it both has a tycoon game where you win or lose and you make a integer of money. You have to make a range of money and then you could either bottom out or do really well. And then that's tied to the story, to the scripted sequences, in a really brilliant way. Because it switches back and forth in a surprising way. Like, the consequences of what you're doing on the tycoon side when you're saying you're pricing coffee suddenly turn out to have this real-world consequence where your daughter hates you. And they and, and that they blended it in, that he, that Hoffmeyer, blended it in such a non-obvious way. He keeps kind of surprising you by, you're so busy with one thing, and then all of a sudden, something else is the most important thing in the world. And that keeps you from falling into a pattern with it, or just assuming. Like um, We were talking earlier, it's almost like Cartlife is like deceptively unauthored. Yes. It doesn't feel like an author is like, because you don't have the feeling of like, oh, Hoffmeyer wanted me to see this scene. You right. have a feeling of, I fucked up. Yeah. I made all the mistakes, and that's why I'm seeing this scene. That's why I feel horrible, and I yeah. need to go get a drink now. Um, but, you know, these other these other games, I mean, it's like we had a wonderful selection of, uh, you know, 30 Flights of Loving, um, Gone Home, I believe, was, Gone Home was a finalist. All these games, like, they're, they're trying new ways to tell stories, and it's both with having a story with the beginning and an end, and having these environments, having visuals and sound and music and things all blending together in completely different ways, sometimes un unprecedented ways, to convey a scenario and a character and a situation and something that you care about. So it's, it's you know, there's exciting, exciting stuff going on right now. Have you played Quadrilateral Cowboy yet? No, I saw it was there. I, you, you, it's good? It's, I, I have zero programming experience, um, no idea how to code, and yet the five minutes I played of that game for through its first mission, I felt like a programmer. Um, nice. It, it, do you know much about it? No, or, you know, I didn't okay, know so, it. Okay, so, so, the, so the basic premise um, is uh, you have this little hacking tool called a deck. Um, when you look throughout the environment, you know, it's a first person, you know, yeah. like the other Blendo stuff. Um, but you'll see things like Door 2, Laser 7, Laser 6, uh, and then you put down this deck, and there's basically a Telnet interface. And uh -huh. then you write in command lines to manipulate the objects in the world. And he's, in, you know, Brennan's invented kind of his own mixed language based on, uh -huh. like, how he knows programming actually works, uh, and then we'll actually, and then 
something that will actually be usable to like a, a wider audience of players. Um, but what's really amazing about it is like so each room has its own little puzzle box of how you manipulate what's around you. Um, but then the way you can speed run the game, I saw someone do this. Where as long as you know what all the puzzles are, you can write one really long command, which is like alarm four dot off semicolon, you know, alarm five dot off. Like if you just mark in your head, like okay, if all these things, and you know, you can do parentheses three so that you know you're giving it three seconds oh, to activate. Okay. So you can basically checkpoint it out and then just hit one command line, and, it just and, the, and everything will open. And then you can just walk through the area, grab the documents, and then. The mission is oh, I love that. That's like Lisp or something. That's awesome. It's really incredible. And, and like, you know, he said that when I was chatting with him, the, the inspiration behind that was kind of like games. He, whenever he plays like a game like a, a Deus Ex or something, uh -huh. like always ends up falling into playing like sort of the hacker type. The, yeah. ga the way games abstract hacking is so boring and yeah. it's just putting in skill points and then manipulating some turrets. Um, yeah. So he wanted to find like, you know, the one extreme of that is actual hacking. The other extreme of that is how video games handle their abstraction of hacking. There's got to be something in the middle yeah. that makes people have a more physical connection to what that process is like uh, without going all the way towards actually learning how to hack. And I think he's done a brilliant job. It's really, That's really cool. And at the end, I was like, I'm going to go buy a book on code, which I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be a programmer. But like, he imparted, like, I got, I understood better probably what the rush of being able to program. Right. And actually have a thing happen in front of you. Yeah. Um, you know, like I have this idea. I want to make it happen through some lines of code. Um, I at least got that rush a little bit, and it's it, it's a really brilliant piece of piece of game. I, I, I will definitely check that. I wish more people. You, Space Camp. You ever played that? I've heard of it. It's on my. I have like a list of like games I should check out when I've it's, got it's more time. It's fucking brutal, but that's because that is programming, and it's. Um, it's like it's not a chemistry. It's not about chemistry. The chemistry is bullshit. Right. Of. I mean, right. They're real molecules, but sure. The uh, it's um, it's that that exercise of problem solving. Like when you have you have to add three oxygens to a hydrogen atom, but it has to be exactly three. It can't be four. You can't make a machine <laughs> that just sort of whizzes the thing around and adds it. Right. Then you'll have more than three. So you have to sit and think about how to do that. And and there are shitty ways to do it that work really well and really elegant, well-constructed and maintainable and clear ways to do it that are slow so you don't get points for that. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, genius. Yeah. <laughs> like, it almost, like, it, it, like, the argument built into the game explains why some people write shitty spaghetti code. That works really well. <laughs> so that's cool. But, um, yeah, I'll check that out. I, I'll, I'll have to... Um, anything else caught your eye today? Like, um, who's that... Uh, a lot of the stuff I've seen at PAX East this year has been at other stuff. I mean, obviously, Super Giant's new game, Transistor, looks, yeah, looks pretty incredible. Looks really awesome. um, but I'm also uh, I'm privileged enough to also, you know, be on the IGF. So I've seen like a lot of this. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of the stuff. Yeah. I played played builds with a lot of the stuff. The there was one game I checked out. I can't remember what the name of it is, but the the programmer he was a programmer at Bungie um, and did a lot of the AI stuff, and he worked a lot on what they call, like, last known position, which is, like, when an AI uh, enemy spots you, yeah. um, your last known position is, like, you know, the first thing it's going to go and look at while you go and hide behind a rock or something. Yeah. Um, and he always got fascinated with, like, being able to pull up the debugging tools that showed exactly how... Actually, Mark the Ninja does a pretty... Yeah. It, this is similar in, in servicing that data through stealth. Um, he got really fascinated with, like, I think people would like to see that stuff, or that could be lift, lift the veil a little bit. He's like, but how are you going to do that in a Halo game? So once he got sort of like tired of, of AAA, 
he kind of struck out and he said, well, I'll just build a whole mechanic about lifting this sort of last known position data. And so what he's developed is this, this uh, iPad game where you're a telepathic uh, art thief and the, when the guards spot you, like, that last known position becomes illuminated on the screen uh-huh. and dynamically changes as, like, the guards are kind of trailing you. And then because you're telepathic, that's how they justify being able to see the stuff oh, right, yeah, on the yeah. screen. And then you can use that to trick them to go into different locations so you can kind of maneuver oh, nice. around uh, and, and, and collect the, the, the art that you're going after. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a neat idea. Um, but I will leave you to it, but yeah. I, I appreciate, appreciate you spending some Thank time. Thank you, yeah, thanks for your time.